hi there, everybody. Welcome to the Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and with Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner of Peterborough United. And let's start. You've got at least one of us has got some football to watch at the moment. <laughs> so, so we'll start with that. You had a couple of good wins this week. Yeah, no, it was good. We played Portsmouth in the last uh, it was the last sixteen of the EFL Trophy, which you know they've they've pretty much owned that trophy for a few years. So they rested a lot of players. We played full strength. We hammered them. I think it was five one. Could have been a lot more. So it was very good. Tough because our pitch has been under serious pressure since the water pipe burst. So magnificent job by the ground staff. We've had this tent on it. And we've got a tent through the insurance for the next few months. And it's bringing it back to life because it was completely dead. But the problem is it's raining. The conditions are shit. So it's a heavy pitch. And um, we moved on then and played, uh, who did we play inside? MK Dons. Probably number one in League One for possession. They love to keep the football. They love the part. They, they have an average, I think, five, 600 passes a game. Right. 60, 70% possession. So when we played at their place, you know, before Christmas, they dominated the ball. It was horrible to watch. So in fairness to the gaffer, he came up with a great game plan and we pretty much batted them 3-0. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, bar a couple of long shots, our goalie really didn't have anything to do. We kept a clean sheet. We had the best chances of the game. We were ruthless, clinical. All those things I spoke about last week that we weren't at Lincoln, that was great to see because, you know, to win promotions, you need to be ruthless. You need to be clinical. And what was probably the best thing was our, our front three really look, the last few games, they've looked the business. And for us to get out of this league, yes, we need our defence to be as good as they've been. But we need the front three to really, you know, scare the fuck out of opposition teams, do the business. And Sammy and Dembele were at it. Clark Harris scores as usual. That's, you know, what he does. And he's got a lot more to bring. But them two, if them two are at it, oof, look out, League One. You've kind of been waiting for Sammy to get going, I think, this year, haven't you? So it's good to see him score a couple. Yeah, he's um, he's that type of player. And I, and I respect this about him. He takes it to heart, everything. He's a very bubbly character. He's very important in our dressing room. But... When he's not doing the business goals-wise, he takes that like personally. Even if the team's winning, he looks unhappy. And something happened during the break, I think, mentally that clicked with him. And maybe he took the pressure off himself. I know he's got a good support system with his, his, his dad, his parents, his, his, his missus, and obviously his agent. And, and I think he's come back refreshed. And the Lincoln game, I said to the manager afterwards, he's about to go on an absolute rip-roar because he looked good. And he looked like that Sammy that was like doing what he did last year for it. So... I would, you know, what did I say about, you know, form? Form is temporary, class is permanent. And, uh, that would describe him. He's one of the best players in League One. And he showed it on Saturday. And I would expect him now to, you know, touch wood, he stays fit, do the same over the next 25 games or 23, whatever there is, games left. And I keep forgetting how many league games I've left. So, well, yeah, we, we were good. And it was always nice to beat the old enemy. Um, you know, there's a lot of history between the two clubs. So that was a, another good one for us. You got a pretty tricky. Well, I don't say tricky because I think that you want to beat everybody if you to achieve the goals that you want to achieve. But there's a couple of tough games coming up this week as well. I think, isn't there? They're all tough. And we got Charlton tomorrow night, another promotion uh, rival and favourite to go up. We got Ipswich on Saturday, massive club in our league. The, the games don't become any easier. We got Shrewsbury not long after, and and they look like a promotion side since their manager has gone in. And shout out to him. I think he's been very unwell with COVID, so mm-hmm. he's he's through the worst of it now. But They've been magnificent since he went in. So, do you know what? If you look at the table, we've lost the two of the bottom four. We've beaten two of the top three. So, you know, it, it doesn't matter. If you're not on it in League One, you're going to get beaten by anybody. Do you know what I mean? And, and if you want to win promotion, if we have to play Hull and Lincoln and all these teams in a row, we've got to play them in a row. We've got to win. We've got to do the business. You don't win promotions by being lucky. You win promotions by beating everything that's in front of you as best you can. 
And we felt we built the squad to do that. So now it's down to the players. And, and it's tough because there's a lot of games coming. We're on a heavy pitch. But credit to the players. If, if the players play like they did on Saturday and against Portsmouth on Tuesday, they'll get it. If they drop, and then we've seen this in the past, if we drop our standards, we'll lose games. Mm-hmm. Then it becomes you know, a shootout. You don't know who's going up. So, look, it's there to be done. There's eight, nine, ten teams in League One who could win promotion. You wouldn't want to bet on any of them. You know, I'd say obviously Portsmouth are probably favourites. You know, they they look like you know that big club and they're strong and they've got a good manager and they've been there thereabouts. So you would have to put them there. Hull are probably the next favourites. Um, Lincoln, even though they've had a lead and everything else, they would probably agree and say Hull and Portsmouth are favourites. So it's it's a brilliant league, you know. And as last week, Akron and Stanley were getting all the plaudits and tip for promotion. You know, they lose a game and maybe people have gone quiet on them, but they're still a dangerous team. Um, I even said to the manager that day, right down to the crew. Crew's a dangerous team, even though they could lose a couple of important players. So, you know, Charlton, you would expect definitely to be in a shake-up. And last time they were in this league, they won promotion. Mm-hmm. So if we're not at it tomorrow night, we'll have a problem. So luckily, we're one of the best teams in the country at home. And we want to continue that. And we have to keep on that. You know, win your home games, get your point away from home. That's a promotion thing. That's the strategy. So long may that continue. And that's what we need to do. Is there any magic behind the home form? Because I, I saw some crazy stat that you were basically firing away the form team at home uh, over the over the calendar year of um, 2020. I think it's continuing into 2021. Are you doing anything different? Is it just that things are clicking? I think we've won 20 out of the last 25 games at home, which is probably up there at Liverpool at Anfield. Unfortunately, yes, we, we surrendered our unbeaten run to Blackpool when we were going through our shit run. I think there's a real pride amongst the players. When the gaffer came back, I'd said to him, the big thing was we were shit at home. We've been really poor at home for two years, and of course it's balls. So there's a big emphasis on, look, we have to play our style our way, impose our style on people. that We want to score shitloads of goals when people come to our place. And the players mentally know that this is our manner. That's why when the season, the vote came in and ended last season, we had six of our final nine games were at home. We were the best home team in the league, and that was a bigger gutter. Because you're trying to put yourself in a position where you have these home games coming up. And if you look at the table at the moment, I think five of the top eight or top nine we've played away. So we have to play them at home. And, you know, you look at things like that. We have two home games owed at the moment. If you look at the way the league's shaping up. So we have to play those two home games. And that brings us level with everyone else then with the home games they've played. So, you know, you win those, you could be anywhere in the league. You know, again, I'm not fussed about the league at the moment. The league takes shape, you know, March. March, that's when it matters. But look, if we can keep doing that at home, the biggest gutter is our fans aren't there to see this because that's what fans want. They want your your home ground to be that manner, that place that people don't like coming to. So I have to ask, any updates on Dembele and uh, his transfer request, any interest, any movement there? Look, you know, we've spoken to him, his family, his agents. We've been fair with him. He's obviously been fair with us. He, we know he wants to play higher. My mission will be to get him and move and play higher. I think he understands that might not happen in January. There's no money around. Like Ivan last year, he'll probably wait till the summer. And if he's firing on all cylinders like he's been in the last two games, he was sensational against Portsmouth. He was sensational on Saturday with two assists. And people go, well, you know, is he a striker with those statistics? You know, this kid's got, he's playing as a second striker. He's not an out-and-out striker. And what he brings to the team you saw on Saturday, he terrorized MK when he had the ball. He set up two of Sammy's goals. He did the same against Portsmouth. If he does that for the next four months, that boy will be getting 20, 30 grand a week next summer in a multi-time move. So he needs to keep his head on. He's shown up the last two games. We need to see that maturity in him. We're seeing it now. I think he's ready to go on that run. 
and cement himself as, as the best player in League One, which I think he can do. So his teammates are behind him. And I think as long as that attitude's there in every game, the application, the sky's the limit for that kid. He can play as he wants. The last thing I just want to ask you about Peterborough right now is a member of your staff moved on this week, one of your uh, personal scouts, mm. um, Ben Davey. And I know you just wanted to kind of uh, speak a little bit about your experience with Ben and, and what he's moved on to. Look, I've always said I'm a good talent spotter. And, you know, that's that's what I do. And that's what we do as a club. And obviously, I have a couple of young scouts that work for me and they come and go. That's the way it works. They work for me personally and I paid them. And Ben approached me a year ago or whatever. He was a Bournemouth fan and he used to send me emails and, you know, about players and stuff like that. And I thought I'd give the kid a go. He was kind of down on his luck. He was having a hard time personally. So I interacted with him at Zoom calls, trained him. He became my, one of my scouts. And fair play to the kid. He's going to get himself a job and he's head of recruitment at Woking. So inside of a year, again, that's like the equivalent of me finding a player from nowhere and selling them higher up. So mm-hmm. I'm really chuffed for the kid because he's married. He's got two, two lovely young girls and he's had a horrendous eight, nine, ten months. And I think football has restored his sanity and, and his mental well-being to where it needs to be. And he's got potential. So Woken got themselves a nice DMAC recruit, another one out there doing his thing. And uh, good luck to him and his family. So now is Woking are going to be um, going up against Peterborough now for the best of non-league players? <laughs> well, listen, if that's if they've got the money to do that, if that's what they want to do, great. And, and you know what? They got one of my little disciples working there, so he's he, he's obviously learned from me and he's taking things and uh, he's moved himself on. He got himself the opportunity, and, and that's what it's all about. You give people the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I don't pay my scouts a lot of money. The promise is is opportunity that you know that gives them a foot in the door and gives them a chance. And uh, he, this kid would travel 12 hours a day and for, for peanuts. And at the end of all of that, he's ended up with a job. And Woken's a great non, top non-league club so with potential. So he's got himself in a really, really good position. And God bless him. It's actually a good point to bring out from a non-footballing perspective. But we get questions a lot to the show from folks who are maybe younger in their career. Or they're just about to start in their career. They're at university. You know, it's so easy when you get those opportunities of the first jobs to go and find the, the best paying job that you can get. But, you know, the experience you get in those roles in the early days is far more important than any money that you can earn. I used to get hammered by the socialists and lunatics who come at me on social media when I used to talk about interns. Because we used to do interns before it was illegal. Where you get interns coming in who are who's studying to be a sports scientist or um, might want to be a fitness coach or might want to be a physiotherapist or whatever it might be. And they were taking their... They were doing their college course and they needed some work experience. So we would take them on. They would come away pre-season. They would do a few months. They'd get lunch money and petrol money, but we didn't have money to pay. So you would have them doing interning. And we've had multiple of those people go on and work for like some big sports institutions and have thanked me afterwards for the, it's invaluable experience. And when I worked in real estate, I spent a year working for free and working in a bar and nightclub at nighttime to supplement me learning about real estate. And look what that led to. I didn't mention fucking moan. And when I talked about this, people came at me. I mean, you know, people calling me a middle-aged old man, fucking what's wrong with capitalism and the usual fucking, you know, idiots who want everything for free. And if you're ambitious enough and you want a chance, sometimes you're going to have to do that without getting paid. As horrible as it sounds, to get that experience, you might have to take two jobs. I did it. Other people have done it. And it's worked for them. This kid who came in and scouted for me was earning peanuts. And now he's probably earning a very, very good wage. And he's in a prominent position in one of the biggest clubs in the non-league. And what a great start for his career. Yeah, again, what a great start and what great look in your CV. So you can bitch and moan out there all you want about being taken advantage of and not paid an hourly rate and all of that fucking shit. 
or you can get your head out of your arse and see the real world and know an opportunity is priceless, no matter what the opportunity might be. And the beauty about all of this is you have a choice. You have a choice to either do it or don't do it or shut the fuck up. And that's the hard part. <laughs> yeah, and here in the States, it's far more prevalent than in the UK. It's just it's something you do without even thinking about it. Of course it is. Absolutely. Now, we didn't have a game at City, so it's going to be now 26 days between games for uh, our last one. You've been busy in the market. Yeah, we've signed five so far. We've got rid of, it probably sounds harsh, but some dead wood that I think that we're happy to get rid of. Name the dead wood. You'll be brave. All right. Well, the biggest, the dead wood for us was um, Guthrie, who is a striker who we got from Stevenage, who's just gone to Port Vale. So now you can be sure that he's going to score against us whenever we play them again, because that's just usually what happens. And uh, Ben Richards Everton was another one who's a centre half. Just didn't fit. I mean, he's he's playing a system that he's just not built for. And uh, he's gone to Barnet. Tell us about the signing. I'd, I'd love to, and now you put me on the spot and I didn't, uh, because I've only heard of one of the five so far. That doesn't mean that the four are, are not good signings. Um, the one that I have heard of is uh, Niall Canavan, who was at Plymouth, centre-half at Plymouth. He's actually a Bradford lad. There was somebody else, Matty Folds, I think his name was, that was, um, where was he back in the day? Bury? I think he, he was in our, our academy. He ended up going to Bury. Everton bought him. He was in the under-23s for Everton for a couple of years. Got released in the summer and ended up going to Como in Italy. Wow. Um, on a two-year deal. Wow. And I guess a few weeks into that, decided to come home and... So I have no idea how good or otherwise he is. I guess time's going to tell. Uh, same with the rest of them. It'd be nice to play a game of football so we could actually see how good or otherwise they are. How's your pitch then? I, I think it's okay. I mean, uh, we have we have a lot of problems with our pitch because the topography of Valley Parade is basically it's built into a hill. And so we've always had drainage issues. Yeah. And, you know, we spent some money to upgrade the drainage. But I think by upgrading it, we took it into the 80s from the 20s. Thanks. So it's still not great uh, drainage there. So we always struggle. And you've probably seen it. You know, if you've come late season to Valley Parade, it's last few years, it's not been good. Sandy. Um, yeah. Um, and I think it's been doing relatively well this season, all things considered. We had the pitch cleared because it snowed last week. Uh, we got the okay from the ref to play on Saturday from a pitch inspection. But then he was concerned that some of the streets were slippy around the ground. And so because of the obviously influx of people coming to a behind closed door game, decided that they would call it off because the surrounding area was dangerous. All right. Okay. Well, look, obviously we'll, we'll find out how, how you're looking now against Cambridge. It's always interesting when you sign so many new players. Till you got into a dressing room, just coming off a really, really good run of games. I'm not a big fan of signing lots of players in January. I think I could think it'd be dangerous. There's never an in-between middle ground on it. It's either brilliant or it's a fucking disaster. Yeah. I've gone down the disaster route before we've signed too many players. Do you know what I mean? So it's derailed the season because no one knows who the fuck anyone is on the training ground. You know, and that can cause its own issues. So I'll be interested to see you're playing our old rivals, Cambridge United, to see the result of that game. Go Bradford! Yeah, they've gone top, I think, uh, while we've been. We've, we've started sinking down the league with no games played. Um, so we're back to being, I think, three points off the relegation zone. But, you know, still a couple of wins from mid-table uh, with games in hand. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. But, yeah, just hoping for a game. And then, uh, you know, one of the th things that um, you mentioned about not being a fan of signing a lot of players in January, does position mean anything like... In terms of, so when I look at our signings, I think we, we're, 
we're signing players where we've got gaps. So we've signing players so that we can have options in terms of formation. Because I think that's one of the challenges we had when we had our bad run is we just had a set number of players. We didn't have many of them. We could only play one formation and it wasn't working. So it's not necessarily they're coming in for competition from a, here's another left back, you know, now we've got three left backs, but here's a winger because we didn't even have one. And those are the kind of signings we've been getting in. I, I get it. You, you, you're hitting areas that you're basically lacking in, so you need the, you need the help. So I, I understand. Look, four signings, five signings, that's not masses. If you get to seven, eight, nine, that's a problem. I have no problem with four or five. If they're the right ones, if they're players you think will come into a dressing room and do well. I used to like the old window where you had an emergency loan window when the window closed. And I think it was up to November, you could still sign players. So when we were in the championship, we weren't doing well at the time. We did a couple of signings in that November. And that can help, do you know what I mean? Because there's a bit more betting in period. Now, the thing that could help as well is you haven't played as many. Usually by now, people who have played 25 league games, 25, 26. But some clubs have only played 18, 19. So actually, you're only really 35% of the season in, 40%. So there's a lot more to go. So it might be a different January. But I would imagine Bradford would be the biggest hitters in the window. There's room for more. There's definitely some more gaps that we're looking to fill. So we'll see. Um, you know, for us, it's unusual because usually we're kind of scraping around at the end of the window to try to find somebody. So there's definitely been more planning this time around, and we'll see see what difference that makes. Quiet window, quiet window for the clubs. Um, so we had, well, there was Liverpool Man United yesterday, oh, where I think some karma over here in the States was that NBC decided they're going to put it on their subscription channel online. I have it. So, I so nobody watched it here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. All the, I mean, I've, I've obviously been lucky that I've, every time a new rights deal, Fox had it originally, so I got the Fox app. Then on the NBC, I saw what they were doing. We used to get all the games on a Saturday, Sunday. They then put it on Peacock. So I've subscribed to that, so I've seen the games. You didn't miss much. Liverpool, it, it, you know, I'd be very concerned as a Liverpool fan that the world champions and league champions are midway through January playing with two central midfielders at the back. It doesn't send a good message out for ownership. Trying to be critical of the ownership, but if you can't go out and get a thirty million pound centre half when you're the world champions and you're league champions, that could be an issue. I'll tell you right now, if Liverpool missed the Champions League and the 50, 60 million that goes with it because they didn't go out and make that one signing they might have needed, it's going to backfire on them. Mm-hmm. And looking at another moment is um, what I worried about early on when I said about injuries and fatigue and squad fatigue and you know. They haven't got Jota, so the front three basically are undroppable, and the front three are a pile of shite at the moment. I mean, they're the front three look to, they don't look like they score in a brothel. Um, never mind about the back because they had a clean sheet against a good United attack. But if United wanted to win that game yesterday, it was there for the taking. Yeah, Liverpool couldn't hit a barn door at the moment. I, I said it a few months ago: Man City will win this league by ten points. I stand by that. I see nothing in the Liverpool squad that will change. They're going to start playing Champions League games again soon, so they're going to be really spread thin. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so I, I, I am concerned about Liverpool. And uh, but look, it's a test for Klopp. They've been hard at it for three years. Maybe it's run its course. Maybe it needs a refresher. The front three are getting to near thirty, you know. And this is where sometimes you have to always look to, you know, sell and move on, sell and move on. If they bounce back from this and, and they and they challenge City and they run them down tight, great. I don't see it at the moment. Maybe I'm just being that negative football fan that you turn into and you watch what I saw yesterday. But they never look like scoring. I mean, I watched them against Southampton, against Newcastle, against West Brom, against United yesterday. Those four goalkeepers in those games, probably not more than seven, eight saves in the four goals. That's not good from from champions. No, and those gaps, it's not like there are any surprises. 
that uh, you know they knew they need to fill those gaps from January first. It's a concern because you're losing Fabinho and Hen- if Fabinho and Henderson were in our midfield, I wonder if we would get scoring goals again. If we'd have that that edge, and you like I said to you, you're one of the biggest clubs in the world, and you're halfway through a transfer window that you knew two months ago you were having problems. You got no fit centre half. You're playing with two central midfielders in the top of the table clash, and you're midway through January, and you haven't got a centre back in the building yet. I'm amazed nobody in the media has written an article about that because that is a pretty, pretty damning like reflection of what's going on in football finances. Well, it's a pretty weak link that I'm going to take from Manchester United to Wayne Rooney. But um, so Wayne Rooney's got the Derby job full time, which I don't know, that surprised me. I mean, I know we've talked a little bit before about, uh, you know, your thoughts on people being entitled because of who they are and getting those jobs. But I didn't necessarily think he would get it full time. Good luck to him. Fair play. Um, you don't look to look a gift horse in the mouth. He knew probably when he was getting signed by them, there was always a chance. Uh, his agents very prudently probably thought, yeah, you know, if there's pressure on the Derby manager, Wayne Rooney, the whole thing that goes with it, he'll be there. They've had problems. Derby, obviously, coming out, didn't pay their wages. The, the takeover is kind of like, is it happening? Is it not happening? He's done all right for a couple of months, caretaker-wise. I still think, you know, again, he's lucky to get that job. Is he qualified for that job? Probably no. But again, your name nowadays can qualify you for a job. I want young English managers to do well, so I want him to do well. Um, we all know what a great player he was. Um, we'll see. If he keeps them in the championship, if they do some business this month, if they get the takeover, it's a massive fucking football club. I mean, what a job. It is a massive football club. Mm-hmm. So, you know, watch this space. It'll be interesting in the weeks and days to come. Um, you talked about the takeover there. Um, I wanted to bring up the Wigan takeholder, and Wigan's still struggling to get a buyer um which yeah i mean it just keeps going on and on and on and it's not in the grand scheme of things it doesn't seem like they're asking for a ton of money i don't know know what's under the bonnet phil you know i i know the price or whatever everyone keeps talking about it's two or three or four million but i don't know what's then under the bonnet of that you you know like i bought peterborough for a pound but there was hundreds of thousands of pounds in creditors owed money so you're not buying it for a pound so if you buy wigan for two million three million four million is there another 10 million needed to settle all debts? I don't know. So they're trying to hang on as best they can. They're playing with younger players. You feel bad for their fans. Um, who knows what the situation is? But with the interest in football clubs, I am astonished that it hasn't been snapped up because it's a great football club, um, you know, to buy. Um, and maybe they will be. But right now, I guess they're running on fumes and the administrator's getting paid really well. Yeah, that's the, you, know, you can be sure that those are the ones that get that, that make out okay out of this. Yeah, correct. They'll be getting paid. And I guess it's probably fitting the fans aren't there to watch it at the moment or see it because, you know, it would be, it would be a sad sight. Um, but that, that's football. We've seen it with Bolton. They've now come through the other side. We've seen it with other clubs, Portsmouth, when they went down to League Two. So I've always said this to you, you know, peaks and troughs and, and clubs, they'll, they'll go again. Um, I wanted to ask you about Max Waters. So Max is, uh, you know, Crawley signed him on a free in October. And here we are, what, two and a half, three months later, scored 16 and 19, now sold to Cardiff for a million. You know, how do you go from being a free, dropping down to Crawley, no disrespect to Crawley, but, you know, still dropping down a division, to getting a million pound move in basically a couple of months you take your opportunities we spoke about it earlier and, and opportunity is a big word and, and the kid's 21 he's a good age he's a good physique he's got some pace he has all the attributes to be a good footballer but maybe mentally it wasn't there until he joined Crawley so sometimes you go backwards to go forwards and what he's done is he's taken the opportunity and gone into Crawley probably on 500 quid a week 
and he spent six months working his bollocks off and it's turned into a million pound move and he's probably on thousands per week. That is the template for working hard and getting good results from working hard and taking the opportunity. Yeah. And fair play to Crawley. Um, any lower league club in League Two getting a million pounds right now, it, it, it's it's a godsend. So I love that. You know, we, we bid for Max. Obviously, no one really knows about that, but we were kind of the other club at the table. But when I knew it was Kenny Jackett's son was representing him, I knew there was no chance he was ever coming to us, no matter what. So, and, and, and that's not a dig, obviously, at the agent. But, you know, the, the minute there was kind of like that inkling, I was like, yeah, no. So, you, you, you know, that's going to be... And if he would sit on the championship, he got a championship move. Yeah, look, you know, his um, his dad, very close to my manager, was Darren recruited him at Doncaster. So we had a fighting chance. But really, the, the figures, the finances involved, you know, everything else, we, we didn't have a fighting chance in the end, you know. When a championship club makes the call, you know 99% of the time the player will skip League One and go straight to the champ. Now, personally, I'm not sure it was the right thing for him to do. I think, you know, the Ivan Tony route of unit and a lot of the other players we've had, they come to us, they do the business, then they go up a step. Sometimes it can be a couple of steps is too far straight away. Hope I'm wrong. He's got some great attributes. I like him as a player. Uh, and again, lower league success story. You love to see it. You know, I think I think Crew lost their right back today. You know, and there's very talented fullbacks at the club, who again Cardiff have signed him. So good recruitment from Cardiff. Um, ten out of ten. Um, credit to them. You know, they're they're buying players, they're spending money, but they won't be forking out stupid wages. So you, you know, as much as they're putting out the fee, they're doing the right business, and um, that can bode well for them. Maybe not this season, but definitely next season. I want to ask you about. Um... There's a lot of talk going on about goal celebrations. COVID conversation. How's freedom in Florida, Phil? As I'm locked here in the UK. It's not too bad. Thanks. It's a little chilly. You know, it's, what is it? Like 10 degrees Celsius. Uh, We've uh, got to put hoodie on. You've got a haircut. My wife was out for dinner last night with the kids. Everyone's living their fucking life. And meanwhile, in the UK. <laughs> yeah <laughs> inauguration day the day that this is published so we're all waiting for that as well not not everybody but we'll be having our inauguration day party on wednesday i imagine is that happening this week yeah it's on wednesday well it'll be the day that the party is published i i had no idea um listen I'm, anyway let's not talk about joe biden yeah <laughs> let's talk about the goal celebration uh issue fiasco i was nearly going to post on twitter but I, i've come to this train of thought about covid because i had a few people tweet me you know, articles about, you know, you're a COVID idiot and you're a COVID cynic and everything else. I think I think there are three camps for how people feel about COVID. There is your COVID idiots who who think it's a conspiracy, it doesn't exist, and people aren't dying and hospitals aren't full and blah, blah, blah. They are fucking idiots. Let's get that straight, yeah? There are people dying. There are even younger people in their 30s and 40s in the ICUs and in the hospitals, but we all know the data on that. So we know it's real. And then there are the people who want to shame people about wearing masks, want to stay behind their couch, don't want to leave their house, agree with lockdowns, think the only way of getting rid of COVID is basically staying in your house for the next three years while our children's education is destroyed, while we lose all our businesses and we lose our homes. Most of these people don't have what I call skin in the game. Then there are people like me who have skin in the game. And when I say skin in the game, I own businesses, I own homes, I have children, I have a young family. Um, I have a life. I understand data statistics. I understand risk analysis. I've analyzed the risk and I've made the decision that I will live as normal as I can. And if I get COVID, touch wood, God bless, whatever, I'll deal with that or I won't deal with that. 
but I want my children in school and I want my family to live as normally as possible. And I don't want to lose my business and I don't want to lose my employees. And I can do all that while being respectful and wearing a mask like I've done for 10 months and keeping my distance from anyone I know over the age of 65. So there's your three camps in my opinion. I'm not sure where you fall in that, but some of my friends who I don't really have any time for anymore or talk to are very much in the COVID hide behind couch camp and shame everyone else. And, you know, I think we're definitely in the middle camp. Snitch on their neighbors, you know, don't want to see people in restaurants and bars, want to criticize everything about your stance on it and, and make you feel like you're an asshole and they're not, and they're doing everything right. So, you know, good luck to you. You want to wear a mask in the shower and when you shag your missus, that's your own prerogative. I won't judge you on that. Don't judge me when I take my mask off when I bang my missus or take a shower, okay? Um, I'm not harming anyone with what I do and I'm certainly not trying to take this virus lightly and I'm not trying to put people's life in danger. Um, I've taken over now 40-odd COVID tests in 10 months. So I do things responsibly all the time. And if everyone else maybe did the same, maybe we'd be a lot better down the line. But the vaccines are here, so that's the good news. So let's get the goal celebrations. So I'm seeing all of it, you know, 10 days ago, it was like circuit break, media narrative, stop the season. Then we moved on from that to tighter, stricter guidelines for the players. They're not allowed to celebrate goals. They're encouraged not to, um, blah blah Managers came out and said, look, that's really difficult to do. Some of the players came out and said, really, really difficult to do. And then you get the media going, how dare you? How dare you? I mean, you know, there are people losing their lives. There are people in hospital. The NHS is under pressure. How dare you? Hang on a second. You've wanted football back to entertain people at home. Yeah? You've got the players who are like basically mice in a laboratory who are told where to eat, how to live, how to get changed, travel, how to work. They are tested within an inch of their lives two, three times a week. They've got all these protocols they follow. And the one thing they have they can do for 90 minutes is go out without a mask, play out in the open fresh air, knowing the high percentage chance is no one else on the pitch has it because of the testing protocols in place. And now you want to basically stop them celebrating from what they're being told to do. It's fucking ridiculous. And before people go, yeah, but I haven't hugged my parents for a year. Or I know someone who has seen hospitals. I haven't hugged my dad for 10 months. But it doesn't mean I don't want to see players and footballers celebrate and enjoy themselves because I'd like to be them. And everyone feels the same. So to shame them, to have a go at them, what do you want to do next? Take corners and set pieces away so they don't crowd each other. These players are tested three times a week. These players are in dressing rooms together. These players are there outside every day training and working and go home in bubbles and lockdowns like the rest of us. They're not sitting around having parties with people over the age of 65. My own manager, who's very concerned about COVID himself, wears a mask 24-7, so he is not putting himself in any danger around the players. And he agrees with me, you don't take away the celebratory rights of these footballers. So can we stop all the virtue signaling? Can we stop all the criticism? Can we stop all the fucking headlines? Can we stop taking every ounce of enjoyment out of what's left that we have? Because many of us out there don't have businesses left, don't have any money left. All we've got is to watch football. And now you want us to watch a bunch of fucking robots running around the pitch off already and don't give me the oh it sends the wrong message fuck off for a year in everyone knows the message everyone knows the risks everyone knows what COVID does we don't need footballers being the beacon and shining light you know for how you should live with COVID it's not fair it's not right that's the hard truth fuck off with your narrative and give the footballers a break and before you say it yes a few of them have broken the rules a few of them have done things they shouldn't have like Millions of other people have done, Phil. 
this place is like a nanny state. Mm -hmm. Police ticketing people, stopping people walking in the woods. You, you know, all the shit that's going on over here. It's mass fucking hysteria and chaos. And I understand about the hospitals and the death rates and the mortality. I get it. But by Jesus, what has happened to everyone here in the UK? Do you know what I mean? And, and, and there's never any sign of good news. There's no, we're locking you up, but here's the great news. Come this day, we're going to get you out. And we're going to do it this way. And the vaccines are working and blah, blah, blah. It's just always shit, 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 and shit. I said to my wife, you know, you've no idea how lucky you are to be in Florida. You've no idea to be under a governor who knows how to operate with COVID. Do you know what I mean? And, and, and not take away our freedoms, not take away what we've got left to smile about. 2021 in the UK feels worse than 2020 in the UK. We're 10 months down the line and it's all it is is mutated virus strains, close airports, isolate people in hotels when they come into the UK now, stop football or celebrating goals, bang, 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 and so on. 10 months later, when we're meant to be in the period of mass vaccinations, solve it, fix it, back to normal. It feels like the opposite over here. So if you don't agree with what I'm saying, that's fine. You're allowed. Well, you used to be allowed before censorship became a thing in the last two weeks. You're allowed to have an opinion that differs from mine. I won't judge you for it. Don't judge me for it. If you judge me for it, go fuck yourself. That's the hard truth. Well, it's a contact spot at the end of the day. And what I don't understand is you talked about all the precautions. Like everyone's going through all these precautions and creating this bubble. So there is normal as much norm normality as possible. Yep. That's the purpose for doing it. Um, and so you can't judge people that are living their lives in this bubble who are getting tested three times a week Correct. by the rules of if they're on the high street. I'll give you a rundown of why I go to the game. So I drive to Peterborough with my driver and we get to the club. We temperature check. We then go upstairs to my office. We do instant tests ourselves. We test and make sure we haven't got it. For me to see my manager, he won't come to my office. Fair enough. Originally, he wanted a Zoom call when I got there. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm not living like that. So we meet in the sponsor's lounge. He's basically 100 yards away from me in his mask while I'm in the sponsor's lounge and we're talking from a distance. That's match day. I then go out to the game. I sit three seats away from Barry Fry. I have a mask on, a hat on. All it's, you can see are my eyes. I watch the game for 90 minutes. I barely celebrate, bar maybe an elbow bump with someone. And then I go home. That's the protocols. And I'm doing the protocols. I'm, I'm doing what's meant to be right. And you can't criticize me for that. That's what I'm allowed to do because it's elite sports. That's what I'm dealing with. I would love to hug and celebrate with everyone else. I'd love to run down to the pitch. I'd love to high five my players. But I choose not to. Now, I'm not going to stop them enjoying a celebration and i think it's ridiculous to do it for 12 months or 10 months or whatever we've had this COVID, and you haven't asked up till now so what's the difference now and we're all living vicariously through them you want to see them celebrate because you know we've got no other joy except now we're watching on these you know on the internet you're not there in person so you need to at least be able to live through their joy in some way show me a, a study and a you know because i'm all about data show me a study where footballers are massively infecting older people who've ended up going to hospital. Show me, show me the statistics. Because as far as I'm concerned, they've been some of the most responsible people in society the last year, bar a few, who've gone to work, done their job as best they can, diligently as they can, and provided us all with entertainment. So we should be praising footballers as opposed to criticizing them and always trying to throw them under the bus. And I'm just so fed up with it. And I'm fed up with the media. You need to find something else to fucking write about or talk about.
All right. Well, on that note, we'll head into a break. Um, I do want to just mention that we 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 had the part one of really going through the finances of a football club. We did that over Christmas. Um, we intended to do part two right after, and we just had so much to talk about since then that um, every week I come with the questions just in case we have a slow week. We've had tons to talk about, so we are going to get there for anyone who's waiting for us to talk about that kind of second part inside look into football. But for now, what we're going to do is we're going to go into a quick break, and then we're going to come back with uh, a bunch of listener questions. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the pod. We're about to get into some uh, listener questions, and we have a ton of listener questions that we got in this week. But uh, behind the scenes, Darren and I have been working um, feverishly on this uh, on the hard truth business this week. So uh, you got any updates that you would like to share? Yeah, great subscription feedback so far. We put out a few teasers and we've had over now, I think 850 people have submitted. Um, the submission doesn't mean you're going to subscribe straight away because it's going to be a course subscription based to do this business pod. But um, based off of that, I would say we'll definitely hit a thousand people um, when we do launch it. So just to give you an idea, if you have emailed in and um, we've got your details, once we launch in the next two weeks, we'll come back to you with um, all the, the technical side of things, how you're going to have access to it. It's going to be once a week. Um, you won't get access unless you're signed up and paying for it. You're going to get information on what you get, the services you get with it. Uh, yes, you're going to get a weekly business pod on life and business and everything else. Whether you own a business, whether you work for a company, whether it's just about fulfilling your life, whether you want to improve your life. It's going to be stories about how my success evolved and what happened over the years, setbacks, successes. Um, you know, failures, celebrations, all those things are going to get covered. And if you're interested, go to hardtruthbusiness.com, hit your details um, when you get there, and then you're on record and we will contact you with all some of the interesting stuff we're doing. So keep posted on this. Also share it with other people as well. They might be in the same boat. It's not going to cost a lot of money. It's going to be like 15 quid a month or whatever else. With that, you're going to get your weekly business pod, but you're also going to get a Zoom call every month. You're going to get access to my brains and your brains, Phil you're successful in your own right as well so it's going to be interesting the next few months as we launch it and hopefully the first one we're going to do is going to be the first week of february all right we'll keep watching and we'll keep keep you informed truthbusiness.com go to it now so let's go to the first question that we received which is from jack walker and jack asked why is there a need for so many stewards at the ground when the games are being played behind closed doors i asked the same question the other night on tuesday there were loads of them up there and uh, uh, i was told it was to help put the tent back up afterwards it's for the pitch at the moment. So it's actually extra hands on deck to do that because trust me, at the moment with no income, we don't want to be paying our costs we shouldn't need. And obviously with the COVID protocol for directors, scouts, people who can go to the games, there's still staff you need on reception and around the actual game itself. All right. Uh, so there's still a skeleton crew that needs to come in regardless of the pitch, but the that's what's leading you to need more folks to take care of. The groundsman on Tuesday night slept under that tent on the pitch. That's how dedicated he was to make sure it was is still going. So we owe the staff, the ground staff, big time by the end of the season. And that won't be forgotten. So I, I've got a couple of questions from Alan Sweeney around sub-goalkeepers. Mm-hmm. So Alan asks, what's your view on players who have spent uh, or even made a career being a number two or even worse, a number three, you know, from a goalkeeper perspective? It looks at the likes of Richard Wright as an example, uh, Scott Carlson, um, others, you know, there's a career to be made doing that. Well, you, you have to look at things in context. There's 11 positions in a football team. A goalie can only play goalie. You know, we, we've had, you know, midfielders play centre-back and right wing-back and strikers filling in midfield. So, as a goalkeeper, really, there's only one spot. So, you have to look at that in isolation as well. 
and I have respect for anyone who's who's a professional. And if they've earned good money during their career, um, where they've given themselves and their family a good life, and being a professional and being a number two or number three, hell, it's like the NFL. Some of these quarterbacks in the NFL who never play become multi-millionaires. They get paid big bucks. And I would imagine a backup goalie in the Prem probably earns about a mil and a half a year. So you become a multi-millionaire from not actually having to do much work. More credit to you. And I've obviously got life wrong. So uh, I've got no criticism whatsoever. Um, it's a thankless task being a goalkeeper. And it really is, um, you know, one out of 11. So when you think about it like that, you'll see why. And nowadays, more and more goalkeepers are going to be younger because you, you don't want your backup costing too much money on the salary cap. So like our backup goalie be on 400 quid a week. Mm-hmm. Obviously, most of your money would go into the, the first team number one. And I would imagine it's the same at a lot of football clubs. We're lucky that our third goalkeeper is a youth goalkeeper who's very good and got a lot of potential. So again, there's a bit of depth we've got at the club. Yeah, I think that um, probably what goes unseen as well is the work that a lot of players who are in that position actually do behind the scenes. And it's like they're, they're the support system for the number one, essentially. And they train just as hard. And you never know if you're going to get called up. And the story I would tell is our last promotion out of League One, we lost our half a million pound goalkeeper in the playoffs. And his backup had to come in because our goalie was down. He hadn't played all season and he kept two clean sheets in three games and one promotion. So, you know, you, you have to give credit for when they do step in. And it was like it was Paul Jones we had. And it was credit to him to mentally be able to step in. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine the pressure you're under all season long. You've been the backup. You've never fucking played. And then suddenly you're going out in front of 50,000 people at Old Trafford in the playoff final. So, you, you know, or a home game in the in the playoff semifinal, 15,000 fans. So, you know, massive credit because they never know when they get called upon. And now with COVID, again, you know, you would expect some backups would end up playing. Back in the day, this is when we're in the Premier League, so 20 years ago now, uh, we were playing our first derby game back in the Premier League against Leeds, so the game we'd all been waiting for. And both our keepers got injured uh, beforehand, so we had no third choice except for a 41-year-old goalkeeper coach called Neville Southall. Oh, wow. So Neville Southall came in at 41 and, and perhaps a little heavier than he was in his peak um, to come and uh, at least stand in the goal. From memory, I think we drew with a, a Stan Collymore overhead kick. He wasn't um, mobile around his area, let's say. But, you know, when you have somebody of that quality, I mean, he can read the game, can't he? Whether Nev's 20 stone or not, hell of a goalkeeper. <laughs> Actually, talking about City, we have a couple of questions from Pete, who's a Bradford fan. Yeah. Um, and he said questions, particularly in respect of manager contracts, given the fact that for Bradford, we've gone through about 25 managers in 20 years. He says sacking is clearly a costly business when you also take into account kind of the, the support staff. How can contracts or how are contracts drawn up to protect the club if a manager does fail? So I always come from, from this point of view, and I learned early on because I sacked a lot of managers and, and I learned I had to put in some circuit breakers into the contracts. So, for example, if I sack a manager, usually in his contract will be, he will get paid off, say he signed a three-year deal. In his his clause to fire him, he would get paid 12 months money. In other words, he'd get a year's salary, but it would be payable over 12 months. I then learned from that, a lot of the managers I'd fired went and got other jobs, and I was still paying them. So then I learned to put another clause in. Not only would you get paid 12 months over 12 months, but if you got another job within that period, that monthly amount we were still paying you would stop. Yeah. So, you know, most recent manager I let go when he got another job, I think he was out of work for like four months. So he only called four months of salary and then it stopped. So another manager, I also had a clause in there that anytime we were outside the top six, 
I could fire him for like three months' pay. So, you know, look, there's so many people who want to work in the football league now. You can you can do what you want with these contracts as long as there's a will on both sides. You know, like if someone wants my manager, it will cost compensation. Just like if I fire my manager, it's compensation. And that's fair both ways. So what you don't want nowadays with very little money left in the game is putting a manager on a player's like a long-term contract where you're going to have to pay them four years of money. I read about like Chelsea paying ex-managers 10 million or 15 million or whatever. And I think the one, the one example was Pochettino. Spurs had to pay him, similar to what I just said, until he got a new job. So he would have been off their payroll. Daniel Levy would have been relieved when he got the PSG job. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily going to motivate him to go and get a new job. Well, no, but at least, you know what, both ways you're looking after the person who's been sacked. And then obviously if they do get work, they're kind of paying you back in that you don't have to pay them anymore. And I think that's a fair compromise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was interesting what you said about, you know, having, because Pete asks about uh, any spe- specific terms to allow sackings without compensation based on poor performance, for example, or a league positioning. And you talked about, you know, if you are below outside the playoffs, then perhaps it's a different payoff. We did that, yeah. There was like, anytime you're outside the top six, it was a lot less to fire a manager. Because obviously I'm an ambitious person and I tell a manager, I want to be top six. I'm going to give you the budget. I'm going to give you the player support. But if you're outside that top six, I can pay you, you know, a lot fucking less if I had to sack you. So, you know, I would say now, now more and more in League Two, it's probably one month severance. That's it. Mm-hmm. Which is probably almost month to month. Um, it used to blow my mind when I read about like Saul Campbell, what he was, you know, Macclesfield Odom and what he was getting paid. And I was like, what were clubs like that size doing paying former players have never managed before, like a hundred odd grand or 150, you know, the average salary for me in League Two for a manager probably would be 75 to 90 grand a year. Not as much as you think. Goes into six figures when you're in League One. And then if you're going out and getting a top, top manager, you might end up paying them a little bit more. But the idea that a League One or League Two club would be paying a manager like quarter of a million a year or 300 grand a year, is fucking lunacy. Yeah, and that's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things when you think even, you know, you have a career in business and, you know, it's, um, you don't going that high up the ladder in a business job for your entire life, you know, to get that kind of level of salary. We put incentives in there. If he does well, he gets paid more. There's bonuses in there. There's, if we got on the TV in the FA Cup, I used to have like a 20 grand bonus in there for a manager. We got 100 grand TV money. And, and there are all those little incentives. Every time you do well, you make more money. You get a hell of a pay bump when you go to the championship. So, you, you, you know, you want to do it's It's not like American sports where some of these managers get paid millions. Do you know what I mean? And whatever else. So I hear in the championship, some managers run five, six hundred grand a year and it blows my fucking mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that doesn't equate to the TV money you're getting. It's different when you're in the Premier League and you're getting 200 million a year. So Sean Deitch, I mean, you know, you talk about a manager and money and wages and everything else. Well, he's so important to Burnley that he probably should be one of the highest paid managers in the Premier League because their whole survival in the Premier League and the finances that come with it are on him. Um, because there's no doubt he is that difference maker. You know, I guarantee you, if they had a different manager, they get relegated. Mm-hmm. You only have to look at the West Broms of the world. You only have to look at some of the clubs that have gone down Stoke and they don't come back for quite a while. So the value of Sean Dyche to that football club in the Premier League, if he's not one of the top eight, nine paid managers in that league, I'd be sacking my agent if I were him. Look, you get what you pay for as a saying in life. And sometimes when you invest wisely and you get a younger person who wants an opportunity or a young manager, they could be on less wages. But with that comes, they might get picked up by another club. Yeah. And that can always happen as well. So that's that's just the beauty of football. That's that's why we're in it. How much does the financial side of things play on your mind when you're thinking about whether you should sack somebody or not? Yeah, it can play in your mind. Of course it can. Particularly if cash flow is not great. But that's why 
it's best. Look, there's two things when you sack a manager. One is the payoff, and that's where I've protected us as a club. We don't have that issue with you know the way we do it. So it's not a big cash flow killer. The second problem is new manager, new players, the this, the that, whatever. So there's just such a such a dramatic effect on a football club. And yes, in the in the short term, you're going to get some good results because that's just normal. I've said this about footballers; they can drive me fucking mad. But you fire a manager, you bring a new one in, or whatever, you get two or three wins in the spin. But it's like a band aid on a, a longer term problem. Um, the big issue is a new manager comes in, different mindset, different thoughts. If they're not on your philosophy wavelength, they're going to want to sign their own players. They're going to want to spend money. You're going to see it at Bradford in the summer. If they bring a new management team in, 90% of your players are, I think, out of contract in the summer. So it will be a completely new squad, completely new manager. You're going to have relocation payments, agents payments. You know, that is a whole set of costs in itself. You know, just relocation alone is anywhere from four to eight grand you've got to pay for signing. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? So forget about a signing on fee or whatever. Those you sign ten players, that's eighty grand. So in your mind is, you know, I'm gonna sack this manager. That is then and I'm just making a number up, that's gonna be a half that that the cost of me doing that is gonna be half a million or a million or two hundred and fifty or whatever the number is, because of all these extra things I know is gonna happen because I make this decision. Yeah, absolutely. So you got to be sure, you know, after doing this for 15 years, you got to be nailed on. You got to look in your manager's eyes and smell, are they up to the task? Is this the right decision? Can they turn it around? You know what I mean? Can they take you any further? Have they still got the 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 fire, the fire burning inside? Do you know what I mean? So, we're pretty fortunate at the moment, you know, at the club that we have a manager who he's experienced, he knows the club inside out, he's a credit to his profession, he's tactically very good. He's, he's won promotions before. And sometimes our fans will moan, well, we finished seventh again and we did whatever else. But you know what? Our manager gets us and we get him. Yeah. And that's sometimes more important than any league position. Now, I have a question from Ellis. And this is um, actually, it's interesting given the conversation we had earlier about um, your scout, Ben, uh, who uh, ended up going to Woking. So Ellis says he's a 22-year-old lad, currently in a nine-to-five office job. You know, passionate about football. He's actually played, I think, uh, to eighth tier before realizing that that's probably not going to be, you know, he's not going to make a career out of playing semi-pro. He's interested in scouting and the path of scouting. I think he's based in Europe, has a, he says, an extreme borderline weird knowledge about football in Europe. So how do we kind of portray that into um, scouting? And I think the general question is like, what path should you think about taking? So what I'd do with our is I would, I would write reports on players and send them to different clubs. Try and get the ownership details of clubs, people who are on Twitter, reach out to them, send them emails, say, look, this is my work, my body of work. You know, here's four players in Germany. Here's two players in France. Here's two players in Scotland. I think this is why I think they'd fit. This is the profile of the player. I've watched games. I've watched footage. Invest in some of the scouting software. Back yourself. And maybe a club will reach out to you and say, look, do you want to do a bit of part-time scouting for us on a Tuesday night or on a Saturday? And if you can afford to do that, Alice, you're probably going to have to do it for free. Yeah, you know, bar expense money and petrol money, and then once you get your foot in the door, you make the impression. And when you make the impression, you become not indispensable, but you make yourself so useful. The club go, oh, hang on a second, we're going to have to look after that person better. Do you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. there's a will, there's a way. I would say the same for anyone looking to do coaching, do scouting, work within football. But unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of short-term pain for long-term gain, and that short-term pain is going to be financial. But looking at the economy in the UK and what's coming up the next two years is going to be a lot of short-term pain for fucking everyone. So, you know, financially. <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great pathway, though. Just, uh, you know, kind of following the steps that you talked about there in how to um, get your name in the door. Now, one of the, 
one of the follow-up questions I have from that is you talked about get some scouting software. And it's, you know, as an outsider, you know, you look and you hear about the scouting tools that that clubs use and you think that's a that only clubs can buy that. So as an individual, is there the software out there and even the same software you can go and get individual licenses and things like that for that? Anyone can buy a license for Instat, can a Y Scout for any of them, just to get their foot in the door. Um, absolutely, you further yourself. Look, this is why we're doing the business pod, because we want to give advice to people. Um, and um, it's not always going to be the right advice, and we'll have to have some disclaimers in place, because what works for one doesn't work for everyone else. I always talk about one-size-fits-all approach here in the UK over COVID has been wrong since day one. There is no one-size-fits-all. Do you know what I mean? So it's the same in giving advice. What I might say to one person might be the same I say to someone else. It depends on the person. It depends on how they can take things. So in this pod, we're going to talk about, you know, how do you want to further yourself at your current job? Is it time to call it a day and move into a different industry? You know, how do you get out of a shit business you own? How do you fold it? How do you bankrupt it mm-hmm. and still walk away and be able to start another business? How do you expand a business that you've got and you think is doing really well? Um, we're going to talk about how do you get promoted at work? Um, we're going to talk about how do you seek out the right job for yourself? How do you get out of bed every day and improve? These are all the things we're going to talk about in that business pod. And that's why it's, you know, I said invaluable to some people because we're going to pluck off our own experience and the things that have happened to us. Mm-hmm. And also, as part of the pod is, if you have businesses and you want some investment, well, guess what? You got one of the best investors in the business on that pod who basically will listen to you once a month on Zoom. And if I like what I hear, yeah. I might invest. Yeah. So, you know, we can have our own little dragon's den going on. So my advice to Alice, anyone else is, look, any opportunity you can get, you know, do the hard yards and do the hard graft and dig in and try and take it. I've already had one kid who's done it in the last eight, nine months and now he's a recruitment officer at a non-league football club. Well, I have one last question before we wrap up today. And this the question is from Henry, who is actually our producer here at the show, gets to listen to uh, everything in, advan- in advance of everybody else. And he listened, um, he listened to the show last week where you were talking about, you know, through lockdown, you've been spending time playing a lot of football manager. Yeah. And so um, he asked, have you ever been Peterborough manager and have you ever been sacked by yourself? Um, yes and yes. <laughs> <laughs> in, short, in short answer, I tend to now play the 2001 version that I managed to find an illegal download and then I use CodeKeeper or CodeWeavers to format it so I can play it on my Mac. So 2000, 2000 season, 2000, 2001 was my favorite football manager season. Yeah, the championship manager. Yeah, where you had like the uh, Belarusian striker, Sigalko or whatever his name was, scoring all the goals. So I'm now into my 150th season on that game. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been playing that for years and uh, I've gone through it. But I have played the newer version with me there as Peterborough chairman and owner. So I've had my son play it as well, you know, and then send me pictures and family members and stuff. So I'm not sure I should be getting licensing right from using my name and that thing. No, you know, you get the old no. check. But, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I am a prolific championship manager. When I'm on long flights, I tend to play it a lot. So now if, uh, if if you ever say anything to Darren Ferguson, he could just point to your track record as Peterborough manager and championship manager. And- Let me tell you, Champions League winner, you know, <laughs> you know I think I won 100 Premier League titles, uh, you know, billions in transfer fees. That we're all, every football fan is a championship manager at heart. Mm-hmm. And, you know, our football manager at heart. We all feel we're football managers. Owners are no different. Some are worse than others. And some people would throw that at me. But my manager will always tell you that, you know, I am the right mixture, you know, of, of owner as regards to um, I don't get too involved, but I get involved enough and, and, and help. <laughs> um, so I guess that I had a follow up question, which is, do you actually use the game to scout? No, 
All right. Never happened. Because that's you hear stories of well, the data you know that the clubs are inputting data, and that some clubs are using it as a scouting tool, but nothing you've ever used. I've seen players on there in the modern version, and I've seen the attributes and skills they put in there, and they're wrong. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't. It's not that I don't value the football manager scouts that are out there working for the game, but I wouldn't respect their opinion as much as my own scouts in my own eyes. No, no, is the is the, is the quick answer. All right. Well, with that, let's wrap up the pod. Uh, thank you again yeah. for your time this week, Dara. And we will be back on uh, the twenty seventh next Wednesday, and of course, rate and review. Uh, we've been continuing to get some great uh, reviews on iTunes. Again, that's really helpful for us. So thank you for doing that. Submit questions. We love the questions that are coming in. You can do that just by going to um, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact. And of course, the business pod. You want to sign up to learn more about the business pod? Hardtruthbusiness.com. So lots of different things that we've got for you to do at the end of the show. But more than anything, just thank you, everybody, for listening in and for your time today. Thanks, folks. Have a great week. Take care, everybody.